Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Mental Debriefing Podcast. And uh, it's July 17th, I believe, July 18th, 2021. So let's get started. And uh, we'll, we'll go over the latest things that's happened in my life. And we'll talk about housing markets. And let's proceed. Okay, guys, welcome to the Mental Debriefing Podcast. And, uh, so yeah, a lot has happened since the last time I spoke with you guys. For one, I now have a, uh, full-time job lined up with my old employer or at least the employer I had uh, for about 10 years of my life, State Farm Insurance. Basically, as you guys know, I was um, I was uh, interviewing with a bunch of insurance companies and, and other types of uh, other types of employers and for various reasons things didn't quite work out uh, sometimes comically um, sometimes not so comically and I was also trying to gun for Las Vegas as well uh, because it's the closest point, uh, it's a, the closest center of employment from uh, California, uh, from Southern California. That's it's just right o- right over the state line, and it's an easy drive back to uh, Southern California. So, ideally, that would be a good situation to be in. But for various reasons. The uh, interviews did not go as I would have liked them to go, and it turned out to be a few rejections. Then, I had put in a processor job for State Farm, just for fun, to see uh, where that would go. Also, you know, to practice interviews and stuff like that. Um, And and to see if I can just... Well, they also didn't have anything... um, At the time when I put in for it, this was uh, months ago, they didn't have any specialist positions, which was my previous position, only um, associate positions which are processor positions, which is uh, kind of like the entry level. So long story short, uh, I interviewed with that, with that, and then I did well on that interview. And then they were going to send me an offer letter, but then before they sent me an offer letter, another recruiter, also from State Farm, 
uh, this time from their home office in Bloomington, Illinois. They had for some reason found my name under an applicant list and they were looking to fill some positions and lo and behold uh, lo and behold because they were looking to fill some positions um, that's where that's <laughs> that's where uh, I ended up applying or, or basically they were looking to fill some positions so they called me they're like are you interested in this position and over the phone I kind of didn't even understand like what the position was uh, but I knew it was something in claims and it was a claim specialist position so I said I was interested I didn't look at like the specifics of it because I didn't actually apply for the job it was just over the phone and then, so nothing happens for a few weeks uh, while I'm still interviewing with these other insurance companies. Then, then the recruiter calls me and said, did you ever apply to that? And then I said, no. And then he just transferred my information uh, that I had for the uh, previous application onto this new position. So I never actually like saw the uh, job, <laughs> job application. And then I had the interview, which basically how it works, uh, you know, you, you don't you don't go to the office to do an interview because of uh, COVID rules. It's they State Farm has this thing called HireView. Other insurance companies and other companies have it also, um, which is basically you record. The, the employer, whether it's State Farm or whoever, they have a set of questions that, that are pre-recorded, preset to their um, spe uh, specification. So it's not really like a live interview. It's, they have like these uh, pre-recorded questions and then through the app, you respond to those uh, pre-recorded questions with your own recording. And you get one redo for each question. Once you're done with that, you submit, uh, you know, it gets submitted and then the employer reviews it. So it's not an actual like live interview. It's not like a live Zoom. It's just uh, a, a thing where the questions are pre-recorded and then you have to record your answers on it. So for some... Unlike the previous interview, the processor interview, this interview I did disastrously on, or I believe I did bad on it. Like there was one, like I just like ran out of time when I was explaining my story. Oh yeah, these these uh, questions, they also have a time limit, so you can't just go on for like 10, 15 minutes telling a story. You have like five minutes to tell the story. That's it. Five minutes per answer. So you can't really go on like a really long type of tangent. So, you know, one of them I ran out of time. Another one I gave like a bad, bad example or something. Uh, or at least I felt it was a bad example. So I had really given up on the position and then I was still interviewing with these other insurance companies um, at the time and I didn't hear from 
State Farm for a long time, so I just, you know, it, based on how I felt I did in the interview, I was like, uh, yeah, this is hopeless, so I'm just going to set my sights on something else. And again, like I said, I was <coughs> still gunning for Las Vegas at the time. So, uh, basically what happened after that was out of the blue one day, the, the, the recruiter calls me, the State Farm recruiter, corporate recruiter, and he says, uh, oh yeah, I finally, you know, uh, sorry it took so long, uh, we were re reviewing things, and we were setting up teams in other locations as well, that's why it took really a, a long time, but now, uh, now that we're ready, we can basically, like, extend, extend me a job offer, and then, uh, well, for, you know, do you have time to talk about it? We'll talk about it to, you know, how about tomorrow? So I said, yeah. And then overnight I was thinking like, this wasn't the position I wanted. And it was in a city I didn't want. It was in Phoenix, Arizona, in Tempe, Arizona. And it wasn't in Las Vegas. And I didn't, you know, I didn't really know what I was applying for. So I was just like, uh, you know, when he calls back, I'm just gonna say no, right? So it turns out, sorry for all the noise, I'm taking off a wrapper of to a drink. Uh, it turns out the position, you know, he calls me back the next day, he goes over the position, it's team handling, um, you know, it's a claims position, and then it was like, oh, you know, um, we can give you back your, like, because I had, like, almost 10 years seniority at that company, so, at State Farm. So, oh, yeah, we can give you this back uh, as well, so, because I was, I had, like, te that 10 years seniority, I was, my pay rate would be way higher than it was if I was just going in um, for the first time at any company. So market rate-wise, if I said yes to this position, I would be paid higher than I would get at any insurance company in the open market because I had said 10-year seniority, whereas, you know, you go to uh, a different company, you're starting from year zero. So, of course, I said I'd... Uh, <laughs> You know, somehow along the way, during this whole half-hour conversation about the position, I ended up, um, you know, I, I said, I'll think about it. And I didn't say no to it. I said, I think, you know, give me some time to think about it. So I was given this 10 to 10 years seniority, which, of course, also has an extended amount of time for uh, PTO, vacation, stuff like that as well. And I'm already familiar with the company because I worked for it for 10 years. And basically, uh, I thought about it some. And then I thought about in 2016, 2015, 2016, early 2016. Uh, really early, uh, between Christmas break of 2015 and 
uh, like the first first week of 2016, I had this position. Uh, that was when my company, State Farm, there was a reorganization going on, and our jobs in California were slowly being uh, transported out to Arizona and Texas and Atlanta, Georgia. So Phoenix, Arizona area, Dallas, Texas area, and Atlanta, Georgia, obviously in the suburbs of those cities. And we had some options at that point. And so we had to like apply for jobs. They wouldn't just move our desk. So we had to like apply for jobs at these specific uh, locations outside of California. I, of course, chose the nearest one, which was Phoenix, Arizona. And I said, yeah, I'll take this job. And so this was back in, you know, the, the Christmas time, 2015 to uh, New Year's 2016. I had also, um, uh, I had gone on vacation with my family, with my dad and my brother to Las Vegas at that point, And... Um, you know, they gave me, they, they like gave me the job offer, like during, during that, this Christmas vacation time. And then I was at home a lot also with, with my family. So I was feeling very sentimental and I was with friends during New Year's Eve. And long story short, I ended up saying no to this job offer that I already said yes to, um, and I didn't end up moving to Phoenix, Arizona in, in March of 2016. So I continued to work with State Farm during their transition, um, during their transition reorganization period, all the way to December 2017. Uh, when I chose to become a realtor. So this whole thing was a uh, new decision I had made. Basically, the let's, uh, to call a spade a spade, I chickened out on the decision back in 2000, 2016. Now in 2000, and then, uh, obviously, during the corona, even before the corona, or at the very earliest part of the coronavirus, um, before it became a worldwide thing, I, like, starting at 2020, I had already decided that I was gonna go back to the, uh, you know, have, like, a full-time job again, instead of being a realtor. Realtor, there's some free time involved, and you're not under a structure, which is fine and all, but I didn't like how customers have uh, such a huge control over you, and when, um, when <laughs> basically the customer controls your paycheck, which I didn't really like, and it's different than from like being a 
being a plumber or an electrician or a garage door guy because those, of course, there's a specific uh, expertise that those tradesmen have that it's very hard for the customer to... Obviously, it happens to when the customer disputes payments and things along that line, but it's... There's a level of expertise with even being a handyman on up. Um, less if you're a handyman, but more of, you know, if you're a plumber, uh, an electrician, a garage door guy, where the general public, they don't have an expertise on that specific skill set. So, more than likely they're going to pay you for the job, even uh, even if there's some minor details that they don't like. Being a realtor, of course, it, everyone believes that they can be, be a realtor because you only need three classes to pass and to get your license, and it's mostly doing paperwork and showing a house, which everyone believes they can do, unlocking doors, nothing super technical about the whole thing, right? Like the mortgage part, there's a mortgage guy. The escrow part, there's an escrow person. And the title part, there's a title person. So the general public believes that they can do what a realtor does. So they're, they have a lot of power over that realtor. And the realtor has to follow along. So that's what I didn't like about the the job of being a realtor. So in uh, that whole tangent aside, you know, in twenty the beginning part of twenty twenty, I decided I need to find like a full time job. So that's when I started to look at um, look at positions and start applying. You know, very slowly. I was like looking for like uh, leasing consultant jobs. I still wanted to stay in real estate somewhat um, I updated my resume but as soon as momentum started to get going that's when COVID hit and then we had this long period where employers did not hire anyone and I had applied for a few state farm positions as well but they were not under a like all employers during COVID they they did hire, but they didn't hire on as uh, fervently as as now. Um, and I'm sure a few of those positions ended up in like a, a hiring freeze. And because of all that, um, yeah. So spilling over on to 2021. You know, we had the second wave of COVID, of course. Then after that, that's when, uh, kind of like February 2021, once the vaccine started to get going, February, March 2021, that's when companies had this big hiring spree. And then that's when I had all these interviews. And during this whole process, I, I switched from applying to the front leasing consultant jobs, which I had applied to tons of. Um, many times in Las Vegas 
and none of those replied. I, I, I mean, I had applied to like over 50 jobs in Las Vegas, and a lot of them they didn't answer. So what's a what's a guy to do there? Of course, what I ended up doing is. Um, Yeah, so, so Las Vegas, as much as I liked it, and as much as I enjoyed, you know, I have a very emotional connection with Las Vegas because I went there a lot as a kid, as a family vacation, because in an effort to save money, a lot of, you know, Asian, Latino families, they would go to Las Vegas from Southern California because at the time, Las Vegas was really cheap, it was kid-friendly, and... You could have a vacation and then all parties would be happy. You know, during the 90s, things were very family-oriented. Even in a city like Las Vegas. Uh, once 1999 on, on up, that's when things started to take a turn in Las Vegas. And it became uh, more adult-oriented. <laughs> kind of like... Uh, well, yeah, once, like, the Venetian and those places opened, then the whole family thing was was over with. But, um, anyways. So, where was I? So, yeah, so 2021, I'm applying to all these insurance companies, and then I ended up for funsies applying to State Farm, and, and that's when I got this job offer for a job I didn't even apply for. Um, so after I thought about it some more, you know, I thought about it back to 2016. I had already made the decision to stay in California once, and, you know, things turned out the way they turned out, which was okay, but not, um, not awesome. You know, I, I've, I've done well in certain areas of my life. I've developed in certain areas of my life. But I'm still, um, I still ended up with, uh, I'm still looking for my partner, my life partner, girlfriend, wife, and I ended up not having a stable full-time job. I learned a lot about real estate. And, you know, I started this uh, rinky-dink little podcast uh, with Leslie, which uh, she, in turn, of course, uh, had her baby. And then it's just me, myself, and I here talking about my life on my podcast, which very few people are interested in, of course, or would waste their time listening to it. But... I did learn a lot about a lot of different things, but now that the opportunity presented itself, again, to go to Arizona and to redo a decision that I made six, you know, five, five years ago, five and a half years ago, I feel it's time to reverse course and do that decision again, and this time actually go to Arizona. You know what? 
whether I end up staying in Arizona or not, I don't know if that's, um, you know, everything in life is temporary, so I don't know if, if things will work out or not in Arizona, but it's important for me to actually say yes and re to reverse that decision and, you know, just to uncover the leaf. You know, whether it's a failure or a success, we don't know. Nobody knows. But just taking that step, I think, would, would do well, would be well for myself. And that's kind of what I'm doing now. I'm I'm driving, you know, I'm on the 10 freeway. I'm still I'm still going uh, towards Phoenix right now, still headed eastbound. And hopefully um you know, this weekend, you know, this first few days I'm just getting a mailbox, seeing if there's a place I can rent a room. Stuff stuff along those lines. I'm trying to avoid moving twice. I, I just might stay out here for temporary housing while my uh, condo is still going on in, in Chino Hills in Southern California. So we'll see what happens. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Other than that, um, I don't have any... any clue of how things will turn out. Uh, hopefully things will turn out well. Hopefully I adjust to Phoenix, Arizona. From all accounts, it's a cool city. All my fellow co-workers that used to be co-workers with me in California that have moved out here, they all love it. None of them have moved back, so I guess that's a good sign. <coughs> you know, for myself, I've always felt that like desert places, if you can tolerate the heat, you can, there's something you can take advantage of. Because, for example, when, when you talk about like Arizona or Palm Springs or whatever, the first thing that comes to people's minds is, oh my God, it's hot. That's the only thing that comes to people's minds, the first thing. Yeah, it's not like, oh yeah, there's cool, there's cool national parks, the Grand Canyon, whatever. It's, oh my god, it's hot. And these are the same people that live in, like, a really hot area. Like, uh, you know, they live in the San Gabriel Valley, um, or the Inland Empire in Southern California, which are, uh, in many cases, it's only like 6-7 degrees Fahrenheit cooler than than hot areas like Las Vegas and Phoenix in the summer, so uh, at least in the daytime. Obviously at night, Southern California tends to cool down a bit more, but there's a lot of really warm areas in Southern California.
anyways. So, I've always felt that if you can tolerate, like I said, if I, you can tolerate the heat, then you have a leg up on all these people that can't tolerate the heat, and you can exploit that uh, heat tolerance to your advantage. So, I've always, that's why I moved to the Inland Empire, that's why, uh, from Orange County, that's why I uh, plan on... That's why I wanted to move to Las Vegas as well. Um, and that's why I'm thinking about, you know, I'm doing this Arizona thing as well. It's uh, really a interesting type of dynamic, but with the heat, And there's a lot of, uh, the heat is one thing, of course. People that live in Palm Springs used to always say that it was, or the Palm Springs area, they always said like, oh yeah, there's, you, you get eight months a year of good weather. So that's what I'm thinking Phoenix is, obviously. You have four months of torture and, and uh, eight months of good weather. So there. And other than that, uh, it's, you know, I'm, all, I'm also one of these people that, you know, as you know, I, I've been whining about wanting change, wanting progress in my life, uh, basically this entire pandemic, right? <clears throat> and the longer the pandemic stretched out, the longer people wanted things, not just me, but like people in general. Oh yeah, I'm I'm ready for change. You know, I've I've learned some life lessons, etc., etc., which I have, of course. But once the change does take place, like this whole whole move thing, then I get scared about the change and. I get anxious about the change. So it's a double-edged sword, you could, you could say. Lots of fast traffic here on the Interstate 10. One thing that's different about driving the Interstate 10 to um, the Phoenix from Southern California versus driving the 15 from Southern California. The 15 has a bit more traffic, so you can't really like go super, super fast. But then this 10 freeway, there's slightly less traffic because it is a longer drive from Southern California to Phoenix uh, versus the, the uh, the quick foray to Las Vegas. Because of that, people tend to fly really, really fast on the 10 freeway because there's less traffic. And I'm talking, uh, everyone's like over 80 miles an hour. 
like a big rig, it goes like 80, so. Alright. I presume this is a big rig without, uh, with an empty load, kind of deadheading. They're going 80 miles an hour, so. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of fast traffic here, but, um, overall, yes, I'm a person that I want change, I want progress in my life, but once change and progress do happen, then I don't feel comfortable with it. And it's a whole uh, thing regarding um, comfort zones and all that. Everybody wants a... Our natural instinct is we want comfort, right? We want to survive. And we want to be in a safe environment. We want to be in a familiar environment. But that safety and familiarity if it happens too often, then it prevents us from growing further in terms of our character and things along those lines. So, you know, it's a double-edged type of situation. Double-edged sword. Overall, it's it's time for me to do a full-time type of thing. The whole, um, you know, part-time shifts are, are uh, not fun to, uh, you, you know, I, I've had fun doing part-time Amazon, but in the end, it's it's really hard to start over versus, uh, you know, you transfer to a position with a lot of seniority. Like I said before, you know, I get tired, um, I get, I get tired doing like a part-time trip to Amazon. I don't know how these geniuses, they do their, uh, 12 hour shifts at Amazon or you know, they're doing full-time, and then they stay for overtime at Amazon. It's it's really incredible. The human body really uh, can perform in crazy, crazy ways. And the human body can step up whenever it's needed. Overall, I'm... thankful for everything. I'm thankful for an opportunity to start somewhere. Uh, you know, I was really frustrated. You know, all these no's on the interviews. I had also set an ultimatum like around June 1 if things didn't progress soon. Uh, you know, I would just transfer with Amazon to go work at full-time at an Amazon uh, warehouse in in Las Vegas, Nevada, but 
luckily, uh, I don't, I don't know if it's lucky or not, but, uh, you know, State Farm reached out and they gave me an opportunity to redo a decision I made and hopefully I can, I can, uh, you know, do things well and make the right choices regarding that. Furthermore, um, regarding housing and Southern California, nationwide, of course, there's a housing boom or home values have spiked dramatically, which is cause for concern. Or not concern, or whatever, whatever you like like it to be. But uh, people are concerned uh, because uh, home prices have gone so high. One of the reasons why, of course, is Joe Biden's administration has President Joe Biden has extended this uh, no eviction. Uh, deadline thing moratorium for a very long time. It was supposed to end like in March that, uh, then it got extended to the end of June now it's going on to the end of July so uh, people could have lived there rent free for uh, uh, undetermined amount of time and it's it's a very frustrating process because because people can live there uh, rent free and they can't get evicted. Um, that creates a demand in the supply, a shortage in the supply, because you know usually when when people get evicted or whatever, then uh, that house becomes available for the next person to rent out or a more well-qualified person to rent, and then the evicted party will go to wherever they can qualify for, or an area they can afford, and then start renting from there. But with the no eviction thing, of course, that creates a lot of... Um, Okay, hold on one second. Okay, the pavement went weird for a bit here. Not on smooth asphalt anymore, we're on concrete. Uh, yeah, the no eviction thing, people can live without having to pay rent. And that creates a shortage of supply. And uh, well, qualified people can't get into places that they're qualified to rent, so there's a shortage in rentals because the people that aren't qualified are stuck there, and the the people that are qualified can't get in. And when they can't get in. 
then the rental prices of existing places go up and up and up. And because the rental prices of existing apartments and homes and duplexes, triplexes go up and up, then the housing prices in turn go up and up and up. So it's a vicious cycle that keeps going and going. And that's why nationwide home prices are going through the roof. California has its own issues, of course, which is, one, it costs a lot for home builders to build homes in California, both for the permitting, the, the cost of the land, also they need to include solar with every freaking house. All those are added expenses to homeowners, I mean to the home builders. There's a lot of concessions they have to make uh, to various groups, special interests. And then a lot of these environmental groups, they just advocate, um, they don't want any new homes built at all, both new homes as well as apartments. They just want like nothing built and they think every piece of land is like environmentally uh, sound, etc., etc., and that creates a very tenuous situation for <laughs> for uh, the housing supply in California because there's a lot of people that want to live in California still. Uh, despite its loss of many, many, many jobs. The reason for that, of course, is even if you just have your existing population, if they reproduce and you have some immigration coming in, that will make up for a lot of the loss, uh, a lot of the losses that occurred from uh, Californians moving to other other um, other states for employment because your existing population they have babies those babies grow up uh, as well as there's still uh, immigration from a foreign country into the US and they settle in California so there's that in terms of in terms of uh, housing supply. Well, one, of course, which we just talked about, all these environmental groups, they don't want anything built. There's a housing project, Tejon Ranch, is like the, is like a big, really big ranch in like Grapevine, California, which is north of North of, uh, north of LA, you take the five on the grapevine. Um, basically, there's this big ranch in, in the foothills before you get to Bakersfield. And <coughs> they own like hun hundreds of thousands of acres or something insane. But these environmental groups, um, they won't let this, let this uh, ranch build any houses, <laughs> and this fight has been going on since Arnold Schwarzenegger was president. 
I mean, was governor. So it's been going on for like 10, 15 years uh, regarding this big ranch that was hundreds of thousands of acres. These environmental groups, they don't even let them build on like 100 acres. Talk about, I mean, the environmental groups in California are so unreasonable. It's just ridiculous. If you have like hundreds of thousands of acres and then you're, you're, these groups, they're just like preventing them from building anything. And ironically, like they're allowed to like build like a shopping center and, and they have warehouses and all that. But when it comes to housing itself, these environmental groups are like, nope, nope, nope. Uh, that's not allowed. A big warehouse is okay, but actual houses, that's not allowed. Which is completely ludicrous. Um, that's how it is in California. It's really hard for these um, home builders and developers to build any, you know, to build homes. And it, the harder you make it, the the less homes will be built, and the less homes are available to supply this uh, growing population. Whereas you go to other states, like other neighboring states, like Nevada and Arizona, they're they don't view like hundreds of thousands of acres. Um, they don't view like that whole thing is like uh, environmentally sensitive. Um, you know, they're more willing to compromise, and it's it's less one way one way demands like it is in California. So um, that's why. Uh, a lot of times these states, they're, um, their home prices are, are way more reasonable than California because they're, one, they have a lot of land. They're not, a lot of their city isn't bordered by the ocean or, so there's that, they have an advantage in land. Two, of course, um, okay, I'm in Buckeye, Arizona right now, so we're in the very outskirts of Phoenix. Um, yeah, the Arizona, yeah, I'm seeing a bunch of like suburban development now here. I, it's dark, but I can still see all this suburb stuff. I don't know. In, in other states, they're more reasonable when it comes to real estate. Instead of saying, uh, you're not allowed at all to build any type of home. They're, they're more reasonable, which is a good thing because... People need houses to live. There's there's also another issue, of course, in 
and the uh, no compromises thing about California, all these environmental groups. <clears throat> when when you restrict so much where you can build and you make everything like environmentally sensitive or, or uh, it's a fire danger it's then the actual existing areas get way 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 overcrowded and and all these houses in whatever environmental, I mean, in areas that aren't environmentally, environmentally sensitive, those residential streets, of course, packed with cars, um, all these houses, it's not single-family homes. I mean, they are single-family homes, but then a lot of them, it's just like they rent out each room. So you end up having, like, five or six cars to one house which of course causes all the, all the uh, cars on the street, cars on the driveway cars everywhere increases the traffic significantly when it's designed as a single family home but you have a bunch of young adults living there single adults renting rooms and that can create a big headache of course Whereas, you know, if, if you're more reasonable in your, your home building, then each area would be less dense, or the density would be what it was planned, uh, what it was planned for instead of um, all these rented rooms and things along that line. And then the whole Airbnb thing, which I'm not sure it's, uh, I'm not sure how big Airbnb is now because of the pandemic, but, you know, in 2017 to, through 2019, when Airbnb was very, very, very popular, certainly at that point, that was when, uh, when there was definitely a huge uh, explosion in, you know, these, these, uh, these areas and tourist, tourist places that are specifically Airbnb homes or, you know, some, some entrepreneurial guy decides to Hey, I'm gonna buy a house in in a, I'm gonna, in a uh, touristy area like Anaheim, and instead of that being a residential home, of course, it's actually a a uh, it's actually a um, Airbnb, which again it lowers the housing supply. And a lot of cities combated that by passing laws prohibiting 
short-term rentals per unit like that. But that also had issues because a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of places, they don't, a lot of cities, they don't have the resources, even if they find or they suspect certain people of, um, you know, of uh, partaking in Airbnb behaviors, even if they find it, they're not going to, um, they're not going to pursue it because they don't have the resources to uh, enforce it. They don't have the resources to prosecute it when there's bigger fish to fry, especially, uh, you know, during a pandemic and uh, during other situations along those lines. Okay, we're uh, more headed into the city now. We're near Avondale, which is near Litchfield Park. We're in the western suburbs of Phoenix now. U-Haul uh, has a big storage here. U-Haul, of course, as many of you know, is an Arizona company. I can see uh, Arizona is... They still use sodium lights, which is nice. <laughs> I am a fan of sodium lights. Sodium lights are yellow versus, of course, LED lights, which are white. Sodium lights are much better for the eyes at night. Overall, of course, in the course of my existence, all I can say is, finally, after I've wanted all these big changes in my life, they are happening um, slowly but surely, and I am... Um, I'm concerned, but I am hopeful for the future, and hopefully things go well. And hopefully once the eviction ending happens, then there is more housing supply and housing prices go down. Also inflation goes down. Other than that, uh, I will talk to you guys another time. If you want to follow me on Instagram, I am on Vision of Tam. That's Vision of T-A-M. Other than that, I'll talk to you guys later. Adios.